Welcome back to the KPO Podcast. I'm your host, Jagisha Patel, and with me, my co-host, Ryan Drinkard. Today, we have a great show for you. We are talking to historical fiction writer Amy Belding Brown about her new book, Emily's House. The book is about Emily Dickinson and her maid, Margaret Mayer. You'll also learn about a service that the library provides. It is called the Home Borrowers Program. And fellow librarian Lynn is going to tell you all about it. This and much more, so please stay tuned. Historical fiction is a library favorite, and this week we're joined by Flight of the Sparrow bestselling author Amy Belding Brown. She joins us to discuss her latest release, Emily's House, with her protagonist, Margaret Marr, Emily Dickinson's longtime maid. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. So uh, tell us about Emily's House and who was Margaret Marr? Well, Emily's House is a book that explores the world of Emily Dickinson and also her maid. Margaret Marr was an Irish immigrant who came with her family um, to America after the Irish potato famine, probably in uh, about 1855. And she worked for some other, another family for a while. And then she got the job with the Dickinson's right at the point where she was actually planning to go to California, had dreams of it and was going to join her brothers um, out there because they were out there mining gold and silver and stuff. Um, And she got this job. She thought it was temporary, but it turned into a, a permanent position. And she ended up working for the Dickinson's for 30 years. And that included the last 17 years of Emily Dickinson's life the time when she's reclusive, time she wore white and things like that, that we, as as far as we know. So it really explores their relationship. And um, I also wanted to explore the the relationship of servants in the upper middle-class families of the 19th century. It's definitely worth mentioning Margaret Marr is, it was a real person. So how did you go about researching her life? Well, that's a great question. I didn't even know about her, honestly, at first. I thought I was going to write, initially, the dream of the book was going to be about Emily Dickinson and, you know, just kind of exploring her. I played with a lot of different ideas, including, you know, maybe trying it from her point of view. And I fairly quickly realized I couldn't do that. I didn't really know how to capture her way with words and her whole brilliance. So, um, I was looking for somebody else to put it from their point of view, someone that was close to her. And in the course of my research, I read the um, Aoife Murray's book, Made as Muse, which uh, explores all the servants uh, of the Dickinson family, at least the ones she could learn about, and um, and focuses a lot of attention on Margaret, Maggie, who Maggie, Emily called Maggie, the whole family did, actually. So that's that's where I got interested in her, and that's where I started my research. And from there, I just looked into everything I could get my hands on about her and, and Emily, too. Also, I explored where, um, you know, her background, what it would have been like for her in Ireland before she came. And that's and also what it was like for immigrants, Irish immigrants to come to this country at that time, in a time when um, they were really, there was a lot of prejudice against them and laws against them. And, um, 
the kinds of things immigrants are focusing are dealing with now today, only it was directed at the Irish at the time. So in all that research, did you, uh, one thing that I was curious about, did you learn anything fascinating uh, or what was your favorite thing that maybe you learned about Emily Dickinson? <laughs> well, one of the things I learned about Emily is that she has there's so many different um, takes on her. You can read, I read a lot of different biographies. They don't all agree. Um, and some of them see her as, I mean, you can start with just what's fairly well known, the, the, um, the, I'm, not, I'm blanking on the name of it, um, the Bell of Amherst, that play, which many people have heard about, or at least seen a, a version of it, which portrays her as a very shy, quiet person, sort of meek. And then there's people that make her, you know, there's people that believe she had an affair with her sister-in-law and maybe other women. It's, it's, there's people out there that think she had an affair with men affairs with men, many men, it's, it's all over the map. Not that that's the only thing I looked at, but those, but those were some of um, my things that I bumped into. What did I find out about her that was fascinating? That a lot of, I, I get interested in sort of strange things, but it, I found out she had quite a sense of humor um, and she liked to uh, mock she and her sister and her brother, I guess, too would mock people and sort of do impressions of them in a sort of mocking way. I mean, I'm not sure she's someone I would have been like to be a friend of <laughs> as much as she is brilliant. I have great admiration for her work. I don't know. It's like, I don't know where to start. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all well, you mentioned that you like strange. How about what was the strangest thing you might've learned? Well, it's not, well, I mean, there's things that's pretty well known about, her being reclusive, which seems very strange. That's um, true. I I personally ended up thinking she's sort of a mystic. I know that she gets, depending on who's writing the, the biography, you know, she didn't she didn't end up going to church, and she she has a lot of things that she wrote that weren't terribly, you know, sort of anti-religion, anti-established church. Um, so I think she went on to she was on another level. She was spiritual if you will if not religious that kind of thing deeply spiritual and she saw incredible incredibly uh, observant of the world i don't know if that's strange i think she was considered strange my personal thinking is also that after i read a lot of this is and read her letters is that she kind of developed a persona maybe this is the strangest thing she had a persona that she presented to the world and i think she kind of liked the idea of being a mysterious person to, you know, she didn't, didn't leave her house for many, many years. And she kind of liked the idea of people thinking of her as a myth or, you know, a strange person. And so she played on that, but in her persona, she would write, depending on who she was writing the letters to, some of them sounded just like, like regular letters to friends or family. And some of them sounded like almost like poems there very stylized letters. So it's hard to like almost trying to figure out what did she mean by this? <laughs> you know? Which I, I admit that's how I see some of her poetry. It's like, I don't really get it all of it. So you mentioned you also want to explore uh, what life was like for servants. So how was uh, Margaret and Emily's relationship and what was a, a typical day for Margaret? 
Yeah, I think I think Emily's and Margaret's relationship was probably closer than many people with many servants in general. The Irish, uh, in particular, well, all the servants. I think it wasn't just the Irish, but you know, there was a feeling they were lesser beings. They weren't smart. They were uh, needed to be civilized, and they weren't trained. And Ireland was considered sort of a wild place, and it was hard to train them. So there was a lot of tend to be a lot of turnover. Not the case. That was not the case for Margaret, but um, that was to also the servants who came from Ireland. The lots and lots of women came as domestic servants, and they would often only stay a few years and then they get married. That was sort of the typical pattern. Again, not the case with Margaret. As far as I know, I mean, to to a certain extent, I've invented um, the relationship between Margaret and Emily. I know the fact that she, Margaret, Maggie as she called her, turned up a few times in, in Emily's letters. And when once when Margaret was sick and was staying with her sister, Emily wrote a very kind and concerned letter to her. So I think there was a real affection on the part of Emily. Um, and I think Maggie, it's pretty clear she felt that way as well. And then there is the thing of the poems. Of, that's a fact that um, Margaret had the... Emily, I assume, gave her the poems and Margaret hid them in her trunk. And that's that's where they were. The family didn't know about them at the time. They wouldn't, they had, they knew she wrote poetry. They had no idea she'd written as extensively as she had. So how they got, one of the things I had to kind of deal with, and again, on my imagination, was how they got from the trunk to uh, her sister Lavinia's hands, who was given, usually given credit for discovering the poems. Oh, that's interesting. So it was it was Maggie who basically historically got the poems and then uh, assumingly got them to uh, her sister. Somehow or other. I don't know exactly how I invented a way, but yes, she she had them in her trunk. I, d- I did want to make the point that it, Margaret wasn't the only servant. She wasn't the only Irish servant. Um, and before the Irish um, came, they had other servants including some black people. Again, she actually, one of them appears in the book, but I don't make a Elizabeth Thompson, who worked in many families in Amherston. She worked, uh, she wasn't a live-in maid, but she worked often at the Dickinson's would help them out with their commencement teas and things like that. So she does appear, she doesn't play a terribly big role, but she's in there. So, So that was typical of, I think, the Dickenses were typical in that they had these servants, not as typical in that they kept uh, at least the Iron Margaret for a long extended time. So kind of linking into that, I read somewhere that all, nearly all of the characters in your work are historical figures or based off of historical figures. And I got us to wondering, is there one in particular you found the most challenging to find the voice for? Well, it's all from, it's all told from Margaret's point of view. So I worked for quite a while um, to to discover, to get that voice. Um, So her voice predominates through the whole thing. It's all seen through her eyes, through hopefully an an Irish American immigrant perspective. Um, And so she doesn't necessarily understand everything the way Emily would have her, obviously, but um, it, as far as there is one exception to that, um, she does have a love interest. Uh, Maggie does, 
and I did invent him because I have no evidence that she had a love interest. It doesn't mean she didn't, I just don't, it's not in the record. Her, she kind of disappears. I mean, it's hard to get a lot of information about her when she starts working for the Dickinsons. I don't really know her personal life very well, except that her sister lived close by. Taking artistic liberties is one of the, uh, one of probably the most enjoyable things of being a historical fiction author. Well, it does give you some, it does give you some leeway that I, I tried to stick, I've tried to stick as closely as possible to what we know, but it's also important to get a story in there. So. so speaking of a story, what advice do you have for aspiring authors? That's a great question. I just, um, I think they should read a lot as much as uh, as much as they can and I think it's less important what they read although you know hopefully their tastes get refined as they grow but um, but I think just read as much as you can and then write as much as you can but um, and speaking of reading I mean that's how I started I think that's how most writers start with loving to read um, and then eventually they get to the point at least I did where it's like I want to do that you know, I want to have that effect on people that those books had on me. So I think, and like, again, many writers, I started with libraries, um, which is, you know, I, I went to the library. We went to the library as a family every week. And then when I got older, I just went even more often. Um, and uh, take, I would take out stacks of books. I had a wonderful library that allowed me to do that. I didn't always read all of them, but I would read some of them and, and return them and, or renew the ones I wanted to read more of and, and things like that. So that whole thought, going into a library just always gave me a feeling that I'm home. I'm comfortable <laughs> now. This is my happy place. <laughs> so. Well, same. <laughs> I was going to say, us being librarians, if we might be biased, we love to hear that. Well, my, and, the, and the book that I dedicated to my aunt, who was a librarian, so it's, uh, it's, it's a, they're treasures. <laughs> and I was very lucky to grow up in a place where they had good libraries. So. Fantastic. Uh, so what's next for you? Is there any project you're working on that you can give us a sneak peek? <laughs> it's very early days, but I, and I'm a slow writer and I do a lot of research. But I'm in the research stage of um, working on a story that's set during the American Revolution um, in Vermont, which at that time wasn't Vermont, it was the New Hampshire Grants, at least for a while. Um, it was disputed territory um, between, the, first of all, the New Yorkers and the people from New Hampshire. Uh, they both claimed that territory, and then it became also disputed territory between, of course, um, the America and, and the British. And also, and I don't intend to forget them, the Abenaki people who, for, who lived here. Um, so that, so there was, so there's that, and I have a character that I'm sort of focusing in on. I'm probably gonna have to do some, quite a bit of invention, because this person, although real, we don't have very much information about her. Sounds interesting to me. It does sound interesting. Can, can you tell us who that person is, or is that something we have to wait and find out? No, her her name is Anne Story, but there, but there, again, she's pretty obscure. 
and uh, and I think a lot of this. Someone um, and she and she lived here, and she was um, cons she was a patriot, and she supposedly spied for the um, Americans. Um, but again, one of the things, one of the complications of this particular story is there was a man who wrote a book, uh, a fiction book called The Green Mountain Boys back in the early 1800s. And she's in this novel as a fictional character. And I think he did a lot of embellishing. And that, but some people take that as, it was fiction, but some people take that as the story. And that's the one that gets passed around. How much of that's real? It's hard to know. <laughs> but I'm trying to figure some of that out. But again, early days. So let's see right. where it goes. Best of luck to you. It sounds lost in the mists of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. And I'm glad you're doing a story about a woman because I feel like there aren't as many uh, books out there about women during the American Revolution. Yeah, I always, I don't, I always am interested in women and, and, and their stories because they often get overlooked. Mm -hmm. This is an obscure story. Um, so it's not Betsy Ross or, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So uh, one of the things we always ask every one of our guests is what are you reading or what should we be reading? <laughs> I hate to tell people what they should be reading. But I've been, I've been reading Kate Atkinson. Now I've, I really enjoy her work. Um, I'm reading her second novel in the um, Brody series, Jackson Brody series. Um, but I've read, I recently read, now I'm going to remember, forget the name of it, The Vanished Half. Vanished oh, The half. Vanishing Half. With Britt Bennett. The recent ones that I really enjoyed. I love just about anything that Elizabeth Strout read, writes. I love Ann Patchett. Um, you know, I have my favorite writers, but I but I I'm a little hesitant sometimes to recommend. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> read Britt Bennett's book if you haven't already. <laughs> and plus with the mention of Britt Bennett, once listeners you're done with the Amy Belding Brown episode. Go back and look at our archives. Listen to our Britt Bennett episode. Refresh yourself. <laughs> uh, so uh, lastly, what do you hope uh, readers of Emily's House take away from your book? Um, what I hope people get out of Emily's House is, uh, well, an appreciation for the Irish immigrant experience and the immigrant experience in general for the struggles that people went through. And even though in good relationships there were I guess you'd call them today microaggressions. There were things that weren't really nice that people said about them um, to their faces and things that were just insensitive. Um, so I hope that and the, the, the sense of what it was to be a servant. And I hope you get a little sense of who at least I think Emily Dickinson was. Our guest today has been Amy Belding Brown. You can find her latest release, Emily's House, right here at your Kirkwood Public Library or wherever engaging books are sold. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. This has been a pleasure. As Jagisha teased at the beginning of the podcast, we're on to our second interview, and that is with fellow librarian Lynn. Lynn's here today to talk to us about the Home Borrower Program, and we've got questions. So, Lynn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be a part of the podcast. Tell us about this new program. It was originally called Homebound, but now it's called Home Borrower. 
as we thought about it, we thought that homebound is kind of a term that could put some people off and doesn't include all of the parts of the home borrowing program. So really about home borrowing is just about for people who have a hard time getting to the library. It could be um, they just had surgery, or it could be that it's just hard for them to be to get around or to drive or whatever the circumstances. The home borrowing program is a way for to stay connected with the Kirkwood Library, so we can deliver materials and whatever people would like from the library through this program. Fantastic! Almost like we're a community. It kind of is like that. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what is some of the things that people could take advantage of through the well, home borrower? With home borrowing, obviously you can get the best sellers, the new releases, all that type of thing. Um, for people who are tech savvy, they can go on to the website and what we'll just make a little designation on their account that, that the books will be delivered to them versus having to come to the library, but they can put things on hold. Another part of the service is you may not know what new things are out there or you just like mysteries a lot. You can also call and ask for some suggestions and I can bring out books for that. And and it's not just books either. It's audiobooks. It's um, the latest DVDs, magazines. Uh, we even have kits. Uh, we have like a coloring, adult coloring kit and a, a fitness kit and just a lot of different things that people can borrow with the program. So tell us, how does a person become a home borrower? It's a very easy process. Uh, there's three ways to do it. One is you can go to our uh, website and right on the front page, there's a, a, a sign for home borrowing or that you click on and you can do sign up that way. Uh, the other way is if you were in the library, we have a, a form that you can fill out and just kind of just to kind of capture what your interests are and, and learn a little bit about your reading style. And then the final way is you can give us a call. Uh, my number is 314-821-5770, extension 1018. Any of those ways can get you connected to home borrowing. Right. And what, is there any eligibility requirements? Um, you have to live uh, within the Kirkwood Library area. We will only deliver there. I'm not going to deliver out to Chesterfield, unfortunately. And then the only other thing is you need to have some type of limitation that makes it difficult for you to get to the library. But you don't need to fill out, you don't need to have any kind of doctor's verification or anything like that. So this is a fantastic service. What other unique services do you provide, Lynn? I also get the great opportunity to visit some of the senior centers in, in the area. And I will do book clubs there, which is always a lot of fun. Um, I also bring a book wagon to the senior centers as well. So if you have a family member that's uh, one of the ones within the Kirkwood Library that once a month I come and I bring, again, books and CDs and audiobooks and, and DVDs that people can make their own suggestions. And it's a way to bring the library to them. They can browse their own things that they really like. And then the other thing, other project that I'm working on is I'm collecting oral histories. Some of our older patrons, you might have some great stories. I like to collect the stories and hear a little bit about what life was like for them as they were uh, growing up and, and just their life stories. And that's probably one of the most fun parts of my job. Well, do you have a story that you recent, that reported that might be fun to, to tell us about? I was, uh, and this was part of the, the Bicentennial Grant, but um, I was sharing with somebody who delivered their children at St. Joseph Hospital and it is now currently living at Aberdeen Heights. And so it was kind of a neat connection that they, that little space of land was the beginning of their family and has been the place that they have kind of chosen to retire. And it's kind of a, a neat situation. So if a patron was interested in sharing a story, how would they go about it? 
Um, they could call me at that uh, number that I just gave, the 8215770, extension 1018, and uh, let me know. And that is not just restricted to people who are part of the home borrowing program. Anyone can uh, share a story. So is there anything else you'd like to tell us about the program or anything we've left out? No, I think the only thing is we uh, we would love to have more people. It's a, it's a really fantastic service, and I always get great comments from individuals about how wonderful and how helpful it is. And so don't be shy. Please sign up because uh, we'd love to meet you and love to be able to, to help in this way and bring the library to you. What a fantastic sentiment. And before we go, Lynn, as well, you know, we ask all of our guests, what are you reading right now? Do you have a book recommendation you'd like to share? I will share. Um, I just picked up the newest Lemony Snicket. Um, I had read the series of unfortunate events to my kids when they were younger and I loved him. I just, I like his style of writing. And uh, so right now I'm reading Poison for Breakfast by Lemony Snicket. And it is so, it is so typical Lemony Snicket. I will say that much. <laughs> Such fun. Well, thank you, Lynn. Thank you. And that's our show this week. I'd like to give out a special thank you to Amy Belding Brown for talking to us about Emily's house. And also a special thank you to Lynn and telling us about the Home Borrower Program. We'd like to leave you with a poem by Emily Dickinson. Success is counted sweetest. Success is counted sweetest by those who ne'er succeed. To comprehend a nectar requires sorest need. Not one of all the purple host who took the flag today can tell the definition. So clear of victory, as he defeated, dying, and whose forbidden ear, the distant strains of triumph burst agonized and clear. Thank you for listening.